everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 314 of the At Percussion podcast. Today, your host and apparently the agent of chaos within the podcast roster, I'm Caleb Pickering. And as always, I'm joined with the ever illustrious Ksenia Komjinovic. How's it going? Nice. I like this. It's going well. I imagine you like butters as like isn't he something chaos? Isn't that like really cute? Oh yeah, Professor Chaos. Professor Chaos. That's gonna be you. I'm gonna make you one of those tinfoil hats and then you can start talking like this. <laughs> I don't know, guys. Um, <laughs> also with us today is um, the always outstanding Carly Vigna. How's it going, Carly? I gotta hear more about this chaos. What's going on? We had a time mix up uh, between Cassinia and Ben and I. Um, it's really their fault now that I think about it, so it's okay. Um, and then probably, we also have probably Ben's fault. Yeah. No, Caleb gave us the time in Central and Eastern, and we said we're going to do Eastern only times. So, yeah. All, all y'all doctors mess. can't can't read. <laughs> and then who just chimed in? We also have Ben. Ben gets no hey, adjectives tagged onto his today. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So before we jump into our guest for today, uh, a little bit of history. Um, this episode is releasing on, I believe, the 27th of January, and of course, we all know that in 1756, that's when Mozart was born, so of course, today, we're not going to talk about Mozart whatsoever, but something else that did happen on this date in 2018, I believe, um, it, might have, it was announced a few days later, uh, Huey Lewis from Huey Lewis in the News gave a performance in Dallas, uh, I think at the American Airlines Center, and he sang extremely out of tune to the point of, of worry, um, and it, he actually went to the doctor later and found out he had uh, Meniere's syndrome, um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a form of tinnitus, and I would imagine most of us have dealt with either some hearing loss or some hearing damage. Um, I know it's not cool to wear earplugs until you get into your 20s and then you realize, oh no, I've already gone down the path a little bit. Um, but Meniere's syndrome is really interesting. It's a type of tinnitus that it's an inner ear disorder, of course, but it leads to dizzy spells, you know, vertigo, hearing loss. And it typically only affects one ear. So it really, if you're a singer, it really screws with your internal sense of pitch and the ability to hear yourself. And what's weird about this one is it can start at any age, but it normally happens in young to middle-aged adulthood, which is kind of strange for Huey Lewis to get it in his, um, you know, up into his late 50s, 60s. It is a chronic condition, and, you know, like other forms of tinnitus, you can uh, live with it, you can take medicine and have treatments, uh, but it, it doesn't ever go away. But I actually found this pretty cool. There are four types of tinnitus. I didn't know about that existed. I thought it was just the one. So there's subjective tinnitus, which is the most common one that probably most of us have experienced or will experience at some point. Um, subjective symptoms are all that come out of it. The sounds heard by the individual are usually caused by exposure to excessive noise. Um, I remember teaching steel band. That's the one that really started to get me after long rehearsals, uh, that, that timbre just really wearing on my ears and of course drumline and stuff. Uh, but those symptoms typically go away and they can appear and disappear suddenly and sometimes last as many as three to 12 months at a time. And sometimes it, it may never stop for some people. There's neurological tinnitus, which is caused by a disorder such as what Huey Lewis had, uh, where you just develop it in some time in your life, you just, you know, draw an unlucky card. Uh, there's somatic tinnitus, which is related to the sensory system which is a form caused or worsened by um, other sensory issues. Um, so basically another disease that's causing issues and you get tinnitus from that. And then the last one is one that if you've ever um, gone for a run um, after being not having gone for a run for a long time and you get the blood pumping in your ears feeling like you can hear your heartbeat in your ears, that's a form of objective tinnitus where you're having a, a rare form of tinnitus caused by your blood pumping very quickly. Um, but you can get that through apparently cardiovascular issues either. So if you're someone who takes really good care of your hearing 
and you're a little bit older and you start hearing your blood pump in your ears, you should probably go see a doctor because you probably have a cardiovascular issue that you need to have assessed. So I thought that was interesting. And we got to skip over Mozart for once, which look at us. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Death to Mozart. Um, well, he, he already died, so it's okay. Um, what? Our guest... <laughs> yeah. Uh, our guest today is uh, he received his master's in music composition and his from Florida State University, his doctorate in percussion performance from University of Oklahoma. Currently, he is the principal timpanist with the Oklahoma City Philharmonic. He is an adjunct instructor of percussion at UCO, University of Central Oklahoma. He's a composer for Attack Wagon Games, which is a big plus for me. Uh, he's the director of composition at the Yes Academy in Lebanon, Egypt. He's the executive director of the Oklahoma Modern Music Collective. He's the president of the Oklahoma chapter of PAS. He's on the PAS review team for percussive notes. He's along with me, a committee member of the PAS composition committee. He has his duo, uh, Duo Rodinia. He is also a percussionist with the Great Plains Percussion Group. He's a conductor at the Oklahoma Composers Orchestra, and he's the owner of A103 Productions and A103 Marching. Previously, he was also the um, adjunct instructor of composition at Oklahoma City University. And before he was president, he was the vice president of the Oklahoma PAS. It goes on for a little while. Um, this is Jamie Whitmarsh, who uh, I, I know we always do the, the thing about like, how do you manage to do all these things at the same time? But Jamie's someone, when I see the things he has his fingers in all at once, I'm like, how the hell is he managing to, to keep that all going? So welcome, Jamie. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, excited. Um, so we had a question. Jamie obviously has a super multifaceted career, which is kind of the theme of today's episode. You know, especially percussionists, we find ourselves in these multifaceted spots all the time where we have a lot of, a lot of pans on the fire. Um, but for those that might not know your specific career trajectory and um, kind of how you got to where you are, you know, being a, an active composer, a full-time timpanist, uh, educator, can you kind of give us the uh, walkthrough version of how you got to where you are today, leading all these things? Yeah. Um, does anyone have a certain time they need to be gone by? How much time do we have here? <laughs> Weeks. I have D&D &D in three and a half hours, so as long as we're done by then, I'm fine. Uh, yeah, I have uh, a lot. I mean, there's a lot that could go into that. I think the thing is that I, I think the thing framing all of it is this. Uh, I sort of had a tumultuous childhood. In fact, a couple of years ago, it really became clear to me because there was a joke in my friend groups that like anytime Jamie tells a childhood story, it's going to be depressing. And like, it became a point where I, was, I start to realize as I'm telling this story, I'm like, oh, wait, that's not normal. You know? And so I, I grew up, we moved, I moved, I went to like 14 different schools between kindergarten and seventh grade. I just moved around a ton. And so I was always the new kid. And I was always sort of in this temporal space where it's never, nothing predictable, nothing stable at all. And in seventh grade, moved to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And I still moved a lot, but it was within town. So I get to go to the same school. And so for the first time I got to develop relationships and uh, I was in band and I was absolutely awful. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I couldn't afford an instrument. So uh, I just sat in the back of the class reading books and someone along the way taught me to read music in general music or something in elementary school because like a week before they'd give me a school bell kit to borrow and I'd learn the music and play it at the concert. So at some point I learned how to read music. Uh, anyway, so in Bartlesville, I, you know, I liked music. I had a guitar that was kind of my first instrument. I was terrible at it, tone deaf, everything. And I really liked music, but I was completely clueless on any kind of life or social skills. As I went through high school, uh, I was playing in a steel band and I started, I got to ninth grade, started playing the bass pants and playing with the Bartlesville High School steel band gave me a lot of opportunity to keep playing music, to go on band trips that I wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise because they needed the bass pan player to go and I was the guy. So they were like, okay, we're gonna figure out how to get you to go to 
Florida to go to Walt Disney World or whatever. And we're going to get you to, I got to go to London because I played the bass pants. I wasn't going to get to go, but they were like, well, we're playing these three or four steel band shows and we need you to go. So we'll help you, you know, so I got all these opportunities and it became clear to me that I love doing this um, and that I wanted to do it as a career. Along that way, I was also writing a lot of music. I, my first thing I ever wrote, my parents went off fishing. I hate fishing. It's boring. It's, uh, I like being in the dirt, but I don't like hooking fish and hurting fish. And I don't like hurting the worms. It makes me so sad. So I hated fishing. And, and I, so I got to stay home. And they trusted me not to burn down the house, which was, which was good. Uh, and I downloaded Metallica's Unforgiven, a MIDI file of that. And I opened it in Noteworthy Composer. And I immediately like added a four on the floor kick and I like turned it into this like techno remix thing. And that was my first creation I ever did as I just took, um, took this thing and just messed with it. And so I kept moved on to video game midis and then to creating my own video game music, which was awful and terrible and really fun to do, but it made no sense and it was, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, I always had that duality of I'm playing and I'm in these groups and percussion ensemble and steel band. Those are my thing. And then I'm composing and I'm arranging and I'm just, and it was like a secret kind of, because now it's a little bit better. You can be a middle schooler and you can find a composer to study with. You can go to YouTube and search for a composer and find all this, all these resources. But back in the day, you didn't have that. I never met another composer uh, until college. I didn't even know that they were out there. I didn't know people were composing. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. And so it was like the secret thing that I had. I had a couple bands I was in. I played bass guitar in this one band and then drum set in another. It was saxophone, bass, and drum set. And I did all the arranging for that. And it just felt like I was like doing this thing, but I didn't know what it could, could be, what, 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 what the next step was. I didn't have any model for that necessarily. So I just kind of made it up and I was like, I want to do this, so I do this. So for me, I think that that's the core of what I have done this whole time is I like doing this thing. I'm going to find a way to do it. Even if I don't know the steps in between, I will start taking those steps. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't have, we don't have kids. Uh, my wife decided when she was six that she was never going to have kids. So my fate was decided then. I didn't know that um, then, but eventually I learned. And I can go either way. So we don't, have, we don't have kids. We have two cats. But our life is music. She's a clarinetist. I'm a percussionist. It's music all the time. And my hobbies are music and musical. I can sit down and compose. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like discovery and like play. And it's draining. And it is work. But it doesn't feel like work. So um, all that is to say, that's sort of like where I come from. I went to school at Oklahoma City University. Came in as a percussion and a education major immediately dropped education in the spring added composition my junior year uh, i started teching at edmonds high school and i loved the students and i loved i had a private studio of like 17 so then i added education major again and so i was pursuing those three and then my fifth year of my undergrad because pursuing these three degree paths it's a lot of credit hours and i uh, wanted to to do them all my fifth year in the, in the fall i had my composition recital i like had a multi-percussion duet with Dane Romano. We were, we were freshmen together at OCU. Um, we played a multi-duet. I had a solo piano piece. I conducted a 25-minute percussion ensemble piece. Um, and then I conducted a full band piece. And I walked off stage and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to write music and I want to play it. I want to go around and play my music. That's what I want to do. So the next day I went and dropped the education degree again. And, <laughs> and they were like, at that point they were like, whatever. They were like, fine. You know, they're like, I'm not going to just, that's, that's really fine, you know. Uh, and so then I, I went to grad school at FSU uh, in composition. And uh, I was involved with the percussion studio when I was there. Initially, I was not. I showed up and I was like, hey, can I use a marimba? And Parks was like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a master's student in composition. He's like, are you in lessons? Are you an ensemble? And I was like, oh, no, I just want to use the gear. And he was just like, that was the semester they were preparing to play at Pacific. And he was just like, I, we can't, like. And I had no idea. I mean, FSU is a pretty remarkable production studio. I had no idea. I have clueless. I just walk into a room and I'm like, what can I do here? You know, and, and in some ways it's 
a downside because I'm, you're not always like, you don't always have the context. But on the other hand, it's an asset because it probably got me through my childhood just kind of being oblivious. But it's an asset because there are so many things that you can do that you maybe never would have thought to do or thought to ask to do. And so by just saying, hey, can I do this? And Carl's like, no, you know, you got to be in lessons, you got to be in ensemble. So then the next year, I enrolled in ensemble and enrolled in lessons uh, with uh, my first one was with, with Ben Fraley my first year. So uh, I was, uh, I met Ben at a social gathering before school even started. And I was like, hey, I'm in lessons with you. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And then my, my third year at FSU, I was actually with Tommy Dobbs, who uh, was my roommate at the time. So uh, I don't know, conflict of interest. I'm not sure. I got an A, you know, paid the rent. <laughs> got an a. Uh, so FSU was, was really special for me. Uh, and we can talk about the composition side of things in a little bit, because I know Caleb was thinking maybe we could talk about um, composition training like at the master's level and, and sort of what I felt like I got out of that. I think that would be a good thing to talk about. But uh, for me, OCU and FSU percussion-wise like really focused on a lot of different things. And, and that was really helpful for me. Uh, if I'd gone to FSU for my bachelor's, I think OCU would have been a great place because it's a totally different approach, but all really useful skills to have. And you take the things that work for you, that speak to you and you use them and um, so I got a ton out of that. Uh, yeah, so that's when I was at FSU, we got to, another composer and I got the Tallahassee Composers Orchestra together. We did two concerts. We wanted our music being played. And so we got an orchestra together to play that. And so when I moved back to Oklahoma, I was like, let's keep that going. And uh, we formed the Oklahoma Composers Orchestra, which has had, I think, 10 concerts since 2016, which is pretty good for an all-volunteer orchestra performing some of the hardest music by living composers out there. Um, yeah, I don't even remember the question anymore. So there you go. No, it's fine. Um, I do, you and I talked last night um, or yesterday or something. I feel like a theme for a lot of us in the past year, and I think COVID was the straw that broke the hustle culture's back. Um, a lot of us, the theme of valuing your own time has kind of come up a lot but you had a really nice social media post a few months back about how you were stepping back a little bit at OCU. And um, yeah, can you just expand some of your thoughts on that? I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but it was all very positive. It was. Um, I have a lot of irons in the fire at any given moment. And some of these are things that are artistically gratifying to me that I do because I enjoy doing them. Um, they may not pay very well, but I, I like doing it. Some of them are financial things, things that um, it's not, I don't, there's nothing I do that I dislike. I like all of it, uh, but there are things that are really financially advantageous. And then um, there are things that are like, personally gratifying. So like an example is the composer's orchestra. I don't get paid to do that. And it takes a lot of my time and it takes a lot of my resources, but artistically it's very gratifying uh, to work with those musicians and to bring those pieces to life. Uh, but also personally it's gratifying because I really believe that art should be accessible to everyone. And that's our mission with the Mo Modern Music Collective is to really <clears throat> bring people in who've never been to a concert. That's our ideal audience member. And so, that one's financially kind of a wash, uh, uh, but personally and artistically, it's really worth it. Um, the problem with adjunct teaching is that you, there is no limit to it. Um, there is no, well, that's a full load and now you're, you're good and you're gonna get paid even more if you do more than that. There is none of that. And furthermore, um, everything, I have not had a full-time job since I worked at Taco Bell in 2007, I, it's, or 2008, I haven't had a full-time job. I have worked way beyond a full-time job, but I've never had a full-time job. So this fall, it was something like, like a Monday would be 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. I teach music fundamentals. Nine to 10, I prep class. 10 to 11, I teach composition one, which is class composition for non-majors, uh, non-composition majors. And then I would either, I would drive to UCO and I would either eat or I'd warm up. 
And then from 12 to 1.30, I would do drum line. And then from 1.30 to 2, I would either eat or warm up, whatever I didn't do already. And then from 2 to 6, I would teach lessons, percussion lessons. And then uh, if I had Philharmonic, I would drive back down to OKC, eat something on the way, try to be at the hall by 7 for my 7.30 to 10 rehearsal. And then I would get back up the next day, 8 a.m., teach again. Uh, and so Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was, I would teach at OCU for several hours. Usually by noon, I'm done. I would go, I rent an office in North OKC and that's where I would do my composition, my video game composition stuff for attack wagon, um, video editing, all that stuff, Tuesdays and Thursdays, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, OCU and UCO. And then Saturday, football game. And then Saturday evening, Philharmonic concert. And not all the time, but sometimes Sunday rehearsal and concert, like a discovery or a family, you know, like sort of like a one-off concert or rehearsal and concert thing. And then Monday, back and do it all again. And this is too much. And if I were pulling in six figures a year, then it'd be fine. I can do that. I mean, I can do almost unlimited work. I, I like all the things I'm doing. But when the adjunct pay rate is just not good, and it's, it's awful. Um, and it seems weird to complain about that because minimum wage is like seven something right now. And, you know, if you work 40 hours a week at minimum wage, it's like $15,000 a year, which is absurd and grotesque. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that like I'm in a specialized field, I'm highly trained, highly experienced, incredibly enthusiastic, usually personable, always optimistic, always enthusiastic. I said it twice because I really feel like I'm enthusiastic. And you know, the net result of my time is it's not worth the energy. Cause you know, we all know when you're teaching, it's not like, okay, I just teach fundamentals for that hour. There's assignments, there's emails from students, there's prep, there's all that stuff that goes along with it. So working that much, it was unsustainable. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started learning programming. I, at a certain point I was like, no, just every, you know, the downside of having involved in all these things if it's like okay i teach at university and i had a couple gigs coming up that's one thing and that's not like that i'm minimizing that because if you're the full-time professor at university and that march 13 2020 and it's like get keyboards to as many students as you can before they leave the building you know like all of the chaos that comes with i'm not minimizing that at all but i'm saying it's like okay my composition students are asking me well what are we how are we going to do this how am i how am i going to teach at this university the composers orchestra and Duo Virginia and GPPG all had concerts lined up in May. Okay, what are we gonna do? The marimba competition, that was our first year we were gonna be hosting it. How are we gonna handle that? The Philharmonic, the rest of the season, my first season with them, canceled. Everything just dominoes falling. I know we all felt that. And that's one of the dangers of that multifaceted career is because you never know when the next hit is gonna come to you. And that's really hard. So I started learning programming and I was, I was really bad at it. My heart wasn't in it. Uh, I'll want to learn the program, but not for those reasons that I was learning it. And I didn't want to step away from music, really. And I thought, you know, if maybe I just invest in a marching band because the time investment and the finance, they match up a lot better than like teaching full-time uh, or, or sorry, pursuing teaching full-time, which is really the drain. Um, teaching full-time is amazing, but all the stuff you do that you collect to get to that point and that you have to maintain and keep going at a certain point, you just have to say like, well, you're going to hire me or not. Like whether I have this position or whether I'm volunteering with this thing or that, like whatever, if you don't want me, I don't think that if I wrote one more article in percussive notes that it's going to be the tipping point. I don't think that's going to be the thing that really grabs you. So um, all it is to say this decision was to step away. I, I, I love teaching at OCU. I really love the students there uh, for the most part. You know, there's, there's always students you don't get along with, but um, I really appreciate how serious they are and generally enthusiastic they are. Largely, there's a huge music theater population and, you know, music theater folks are just like, yes, life, you know? And you're just like, yeah, you know, yes, life. Thank you for that. 19-year-old um, tenor, thank you. So uh, I really... You know, it's my, it's my alma mater. I care about it. But at a certain point, it was just like, okay, something's got to go. And for me, it was, I've spent a fair amount of time there. And 
it's kind of clear that at least at the moment, there's no real way for me to have full-time employment there. So I need to, um, I need to reduce what I'm doing and that time can be spent on composing, practicing, whatever. Yeah. Over the holiday break, um, I had a couple of things that are coming up at the end of the month from next weekend into the start of February. And I was kind of stressing about them. I was just like, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. My girlfriend was just like, why don't you just tell somebody no? And I, I sent an email that's like, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this. And that was the most liberating feeling I think I have ever felt in my life. Because <laughs> um, it wasn't that big of a deal and it would have taken a lot of time. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it feels good to make time for yourself um, and prioritize things. Um, yeah. I, yeah, kind of a, a weird pivot. But with at percussion, we've interviewed a, obviously a ton of percussionists. The at tuba podcast does the tuba people, um, and we've interviewed a ton of composers. And we've obviously done you know the percussion composer, composer percussionist um, sometimes. But I was looking back, and we haven't had a ton of percussionists that have composition like degree training. <clears throat> But could you kind of speak to, oh, sorry, Ksenia, uh, I forget, I forget you have a comp degree. No, 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 women are invisible. It's fine. We understand how this podcast is run by Professor Chaos. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> sorry, I won't, I won't steer. Please ask Jamie the okay, well, well, question. <laughs> well, I'm canned. I'm out of here. Um, but yeah, I forget Ksenia has I a comp Cancel degree. Caleb. <laughs> yeah, hashtag. Um, but yeah, can you speak a little bit to how your comp degree affects your writing I mean obviously that's a seems like a stupid question but I mean I write a lot now and looking back I wish I would have had more uh air quotes legitimate comp training as a as a writer now well you're welcome to take my composition seminar if you want it's uh given virtually it's not every single week but it's it's kind of a schedule that that works it's 10 meetings over a semester so let me know um but really though when I got to OCU, I actually, I was, this is a fun story. I actually wasn't accepted uh, at OCU at first. I, I, I actually don't know. I didn't know this story, but my wife told me the other day because Ed told her. So Ed Knight is the head of composition at OCU. He's amazing. Um, and I credit him a lot with the fact that I'm a functional human and that uh, the training that I got sticking uh, the way that it did. Uh, I really credit him. He's an amazing teacher. But so I applied in like April before you know, which is really late. And he was like, hey, you know, we already have like five composers coming in. Like you, you know, if you're going to be here, though, come to the Project 21 meetings and stuff. And so I guess, uh, well, I guess what happened, you know, I submitted my portfolio and it was a lot of percussion stuff. And then I, you know, went and knocked on the door when I got down to OCU and I was just like, you know, hey, I just wanted some feedback on my portfolio, you know, why I wasn't accepted, what I need to work on. And he's like, well, you know, you submitted everything. It was just percussion stuff. And we want our composers to really work within a bunch, with a bunch of different instruments and, and so forth. And I was like, oh, no, I've got other things. And I guess I pulled out, like, my computer and then, like, pulled all these scores out and was like, yeah, I got this, you know, like, totally clueless. But um, my wife really thinks that story is funny. <laughs> uh, so when I got to OCU, I really wanted to write percussion music video game music and marching band music. Right now, I would say 90% of what I write is percussion music, video game music, marching band. But the time in between was not that. Um, there was a lot of percussion stuff and there was a fair amount of marching band, not as much video game, but there was a lot of other stuff along the way. And I think the, uh, the best thing about studying composition and what it can give to a percussionist working to compose our instruments are all attack. We don't have sustain. We don't have sustain. The only thing that we can do with sustain is like when we have a melodica uh, or maybe when we bow something. And that's it. Even a roll is just a bunch of attacks with maybe hopefully imperceptible decay. So it sounds more even. But we don't have sustain. We just have decay. Even a vibraphone, you can hold the pedal down, it's note, and then it's a longer decay, but you can't, it's not going to get louder. You can't hold it there. It's just going away. So as percussionists, we compensate for that because we have to. And a lot of times it's with rhythm. We will fill the space to keep sound going. And that's great. 
but it's not the only way to approach music and it's the only way to think about it. And I think I can say for myself, for sure, when I got to OCU, of course I was a younger composer and so we always develop, you know, over time and we develop our style and our tricks and our, all that stuff. But I wasn't thinking in those terms. I was, I was really in the world of percussion and marching band and video games. And that's where I was. That was, that's all I knew. So when you write for clarinet, but it's really a percussion part, uh, you start to learn like how to distribute your material to the right sounds, the right instruments. And you start to learn what things you have not been paying attention to, what, not, what you have not been thinking about at all. So I guess the number one thing is that you're getting out of what you know and you're getting into things you don't know. Um, you're also exposed to a lot of music you know, if all I listened to was Jamie Whitmarsh music, I mean, I think there's some good stuff in there, but it's not everything you need. It's not all you, it's like if all you ate was bananas, I mean, your potassium levels are going to be through the roof, but like, you know, you need something else probably. Uh, even, even a different fruit would be a good start. So I think there's the getting out of the instrument and into the other instrument worlds. There is the experience to repertoire that you wouldn't have heard otherwise and there is the collaboration and communication with other composers and this happened to me at OCU it happened to me at FSU I show up and there are composers there who approach things totally different from how I do not just the process but like what their goals are and and what they're like I remember Al Kovach that's the time I met my wife uh, I, I asked them I was running Matt Jordan's vibraphone because I didn't have access to the percussion studio yet and I told the composers write music for vibraphone and Al Kovach wrote a bass clarinet and vibraphone piece and that's how I met Lisa and then I over time wooed her because uh, I don't know why um maybe she has self-destructive tendencies I don't know but no just kidding uh so uh, Al wrote that and there was I, I was like this is pretty adventurous you know this is pretty non-tonal and he's like no this is I hear this is pretty tonal and I was like what okay so totally different ways of thinking about stuff and just really opening your mind. Um, I really think that, that I would not be the composer that I am today if I had just written percussion, video game, and marching band music. I, I really cherish the fact Ed Knight and then Ladislav Kubik at FSU, who's no longer with us, but he, I remember, you know, Ed gave me all these tools with like material sheets and formal diagrams and sketching and pacing. Like pacing, I think, is the absolute most important element in music whatever your style is anything it doesn't matter instrumentation genre nothing it's all pacing that is the absolute most important element if you get the pacing right because music is a temporal art it is an experience that we get in time so pacing um ed really gave me a lot of that and then at fsu i would like walk in and kubik you know he was he's old composer i mean not like he's really old but this like old school european master sort of vibe you know uh, and totally, you know, different personality. But like, I would bring in my laptop and put it on sitting at his piano, and I put, you know, and here's this percussion octet, you know, and he just starts like playing it and reading it on his piano and like talking. And he's like, "That's a little garden here," you know, and then he kind of draws some shapes on there. And I'm like, "This totally makes sense. Like, I get it. You know, the way he's saying these things, it's amazing." And that was also these are all tools that I use in my teaching. And these are things that open my mind. And so I think to answer your question, Caleb, the benefit, uh, you're always gonna have to find performers. You're always gonna have to advocate for your music. You're always going to have to try new things out. But I think the formal study of composition aids you in being more objective and being more efficient and giving you the tools to really write the music you're trying to write and the music that you want and to write better music. I think it just, helps that and doesn't mean you have to do that we all know self-taught drum set players you're just like they sound like a million bucks and you're taking a lesson in your life like good for you you know nice good for you most of us don't live that life though and and so i think training is really helpful to help you write your music it should be not every place teaches that way right sometimes it's like you have to write like this like schoenberg and it's not your music then you know so anyway that's my I, I, I just assume you ask a question and then I go until I forget and then you'll, you know, and I'm reading the chat too. So I'm kind of like, you know, reading it. Yeah, everybody's laughing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Don't read I'm, the chat. Never read Whatever the chat. You do. It keeps popping up. I can't, I can't not like autocomplete, <laughs> autocomplete emails. I'm like, hello. And it's like 
autofill and I'm like getting distracted. I don't remember what I was trying to say because it's autofilling for me. Um, I think it's great from an accessibility standpoint, but from like me being able to create a cohesive thought, it's, it's very frustrating. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome well, there. <laughs> Jamie, earlier you mentioned your composition seminar that you're starting up. Um, why don't you tell us about it? What's the schedule like? What's it going to be like? What's involved? Um, and what was the impetus? What, what led you to create it? Yeah, so like uh, summer of 2020, when I was like, I'm going to quit everything. Uh, and then I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to quit everything. I was thinking about, you know, I, I, I teach at Yes Academy. My first three or four or so were in person. I, I went to Lebanon and taught for several weeks and I really enjoyed it. And it was, it was really cool because like a lot of the time in American media, the Middle East is portrayed um, as just the sand and that's it. Uh, and instead, oh, Yes Academy, I know I'm supposed to ignore the chat. Uh, yes Academy is a, a program created by American Voices. It's a nonprofit organization and they have a lot of things, American Music Abroad, Arts Envoy, Yes Academies. And Yes Academies are really cool. They're like one to two weeks on location. Uh, American faculty come and, you know, we have like an orchestra. So we have a conducting program, we have a string program, Broadway, voice, composition, songwriting, uh, piano, winds, all these sort of things. And we just work with the students. We teach classes each day, teach lessons. And then, you know, my students will write a piece during that time and then the Yes faculty will perform it at a final concert. And so it's like a, a flash kind of workshop sort of thing. Um, but I just wanted to say that American media does not portray the Middle East in what, what it actually is. And, uh, you know, if anyone listening out there, I would encourage you to um, check out, there's just so much like history and so much beauty. And the like, you know, I go over there and my students are like, hey, what'd you think of Endgame? And I'm like, oh, you know, and then we're like talking about Marvel, you know, and and they're like, oh, I love, you know, this anime music. I mean, people are people everywhere. And so largely it's not very much different from teaching in the States, but there are some things that I really took in, like just talking about the different Arabic modes that I've never been exposed to. And so many things my students um, gave to me. So um, Yes Academy, uh, we go on location. I've done it a couple of times. And then in 2020, we wound up, you know, having to move everything on online virtually. And I taught four weeks or something like that every day. You know, I have to go early in the morning because they're like eight hours ahead. So it's like 6 a.m. to noon, you know, and I'm teaching like 25 lessons, like 25, 15 minute lessons or something in addition to my class. And it's exhausting, but I was like, this is great. You know, like this is really working well. And so I thought, let's, let's see what we can do with that. So I started it actually last year and it was initially just high school percussions. And that was the first crop of people. And that was really cool. Um, because they all have kind of the shared experience. And so now what I'm doing is it's open. It's to anyone who wants to learn composition, anyone who, you know, not, I want to be a composer. You, if you want that, absolutely, we can, we can do that. But it's more about, I think everyone should compose. I mean, I really think that whether you want to be a composer or not, whatever that means, just the act of creating something is going to, just as a human, it's going to feed you. But, you know, as a musician, it's also going to illuminate some things. You get this piece, you know, after the seminar, it's like you get a new piece of music that before would have been incomprehensible to you. And you're like, I don't know what this is. But start to see, like, what's actually happening here, peeling away the layers. And once you've, once you've done that, you've created it, it's much easier to sort of see the, the evidence of, what, of the craft there and know what, how this is unfolding and what's important in the piece and what's not as important and these sort of things. So it's um, not exactly weekly. Uh, sometimes it will be weekly. Sometimes it won't. And it just depends on if, you know, if I'm doing stuff with a Philharmonic that day, I can't really teach a seminar uh, or if it's like spring break or something, you know, but it's an hour and there are multiple levels. So if you are like, Hey, I actually have a composition degree, but I haven't really written in the last five years. I'm trying to get back into it. Um, and, or you're like, I've never composed a day in my life and I really want to get going. Or you're just like, I want to be a better musician and I want to use composition to do that. Okay. In these different skill levels and experience levels, uh, I should say experience, not skill. It's not really maybe part of it, but it's really about the experience level, um, and goals. 
and separating them into that. And then we, we just meet on Zoom and every lesson's recorded or every meeting is recorded. They're limited to five per session because uh, we'll give assignments. Like, so the first one, I'll, I'll just a little preview here. The first assignment, we do contour.rhythm method. And what this is, is it's a way to just generate material. Because a lot of what we talk about are what writer's block, right? Like, what do I do now? Blank page, blank score. Now what? It's the most crippling thing for a composer. So it's like, get, get something done quick, you know? And so we write a contour, and then you copy that contour on blank paper, and you put some dots, okay? And then you copy that, and you give it some beams and some X's for rests, you know? And you're just, you know, and then you put it on a stamp. You copy all that onto a stamp. And then you get rid of the line and all of that, and you tweak it. And you say, okay, I don't really like this interval. So you change it. But the idea is it doesn't take, it takes you like five minutes, and you've created a melody. And you do that a couple times. And so then we're limited to five, so everyone can display their stuff. Because I think it's so important for people to learn from each other. It's not just, I mean, you work with me, and I'm like, okay, well, think about it like this, think about it like this. But if I say, draw, write three melodies, and you four come back the next week, we're going to have four totally different people and four totally different perspectives. And you're going to be like, I never would have thought about doing that. So, you know, you, you, you would learn from each other just as, just as much as you learn from my feedback or from score study or from writing on your own. You're in a, I feel like you're in part of the group. It's like you and Doug Perry. And there's a couple of others that have snuck your way into the video game music scene and I feel like a lot of people are really interested in it, but um, can you talk about how you got involved with actually writing and working with video game music? Yeah, so I, I mean, my first body of repertoire that I studied, you know, listened to obsessively was video game music. That's really where it all was born from. And so it's for me natural, I really look at this as kind of like a return to where I was always going. And um, I did a lot of stuff in high school, like on forums and stuff, and like with like game makers and things like that, and just making MIDI files for games that never really got finished. They were just like fan projects and stuff, just to do it. But then I didn't really touch video game composition again until like 2017, I think. Uh, it, was, it was a long time, like at least 10 years. And I wrote, for someone I went, some, my, a friend of mine from high school that I hadn't talked to since we graduated, Daniel Parrott, he's brilliant. And I, I just sat by him in senior English and annoyed him because he's very quiet and serious. And I'm like, Wah! and but we were somehow we're friends. And so he was like working on this game and I was like, yeah, I can do music for it. And so that was like my first real, okay, here we go. Um, I'm writing for a video game now. So it was just someone I knew and I hadn't even talked to in a long time, but someone I had known. With Attack Wagon, the way that went down, um, so this past summer, I started learning programming again. <laughs> I was like, ah, <laughs> I, I'm over all this. Um, I'm over all this adjunct teaching and not making any money. Um, I love the teaching part, but the not making money is really hard. And I was like, I really like video games. I, I'm gonna do it. And I had done some 48 hour film project things before where you have a team and you write you know, a film score in 48 hours, or you make a film in 48 hours, I would score it. Um, and one of my students in Lebanon, Mark, who's like, I don't want to say too much about him because I don't want him to, uh, to get a big head, but he's been studying with me since he was 11 uh, through Yes Academy. And he's just, it's like, hey, write this piece for Trump, write a piece for trumpet, it's a minute. And then like 30 minutes later, he'll send it to me. And I'm like, okay, cool, think about these things, now write one for horn. And then like 30 minutes later, and I'm like, he's just really, he's really with it. But he told me about game jams, and that's the equivalent to the 48-hour film project. So it's like, okay, a weekend, a team gets together, and he's been writing for all these game jams uh, along the way. So I did four of them in August, and uh, over two weeks, I wrote four game soundtracks. Sometimes it's just one track, sometimes it's four or five. Um, and I just was like, I'm, do I'm doing this. I'm diving all in on this. And searched for Oklahoma game developers, and found and got in touch with all these different people, had lunch with people, Attack Wagon, they're a newer company. They had just launched uh, and I contacted them and I sent them my stuff and I went to a meeting with them and talked to them a little bit about it and they were they were into it. And so I'm a composer at Attack Wagon Games. 
the, the first game coming out is called Scrap Guilds. It's built on the blockchain. So uh, there's like, there's, they have this, their own cryptocurrency token. Um, and there's something about NFT involved. And uh, if you're watching a tag wagon people, I guess now's the time for you to know, I don't really understand that stuff, but I'm all about it. And I know it's innovative and I'm excited to see what you guys do with it. The team they've assembled, it's amazing. I mean, they have the founders, but they have all these artists and all these developers and I'm, we're on Discord and I'm always seeing the stuff they're pumping out and it's like legit. It's like really exciting to see all the stuff they're coming up with. So that that's really how it happened. And this game is very 80s inspired. So uh, we have a track, you know, that's that's pretty Toto, you know, like it's, you'll be like, oh, it's kind of a Toto song, you know? And uh, you can check out our trailer. You can hear some of the big trouble, uh, little, little trouble, big, little Kurt Russell. Um, you can hear a little bit of that influence in the trailer as well. Big trouble, little China. Is that it? What is it? Whatever that combination of words that is, and yeah. Kurt Russell's in there. That movie. <laughs> okay. I don't know what any of this is. It was like big trouble, little Kurt Russell. What? I don't, I don't know. It's a movie about a, yeah. a pocket-sized Kurt Russell that gets in all sorts of <laughs> shenanigans. They, yeah. they repurposed it as Stuart Little in the, in the 90s. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how that happened. I just reached out and met with him and sent them some of my music, and, and we went there. Okay. Well, I would have been lost in that conversation on NFTs if somebody didn't do a segment on that a while back, so... <laughs> It's confusing. I have, one, I have one NFT. I don't know. I was like, this is cool, but you do? Yeah, it's like like they have NFTs through the game and stuff. And so I have one. But um, oh. it's a chip, you know, it's like a 3D model of a ship, kind of. It's cool. Nice. Cool. We finally know someone who has an NFT. That's cool. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Slight pivot. So your big project in the past few years, um, well, one of them was American Biomes, which I saw floating through cyberspace, you know, plenty of times. But can you talk a little bit about Great Plains and American Biomes and how that project came to be? Because that's that's an hour of music straight. That's a, it's not an easy undertaking. Yeah. Um... So American Biomes, uh, Tommy Dobbs is a percussionist. You guys uh, know his name. And we've been best friends for a very long time. And I was like, I'd written a piece for them for when he was at University of Arkansas Fort Smith. I'd written a quartet. And I was like, hey, we should do, I would really like to get something that's like one person from every state and, and try to get like this big community kind of of people. And we can be like, look at all these people. Like, cause it felt in 2019 pretty, divisive in America. Uh, it felt pretty, yeah, just divided overall. And I was like, let's, you know, let's come back to the things we can share and the things we can find in common. So how about, you know, would you be interested in doing a consortium for like a four, and he might've brought it up, I might've brought it up, I don't know. But I was like, you know, a four to six minute piece for percussion quartet with limited instrumentation, one, one of each keyboard, that kind of thing. He's like, yeah, cool. So we started talking about it at PASIC 2019. And then we're like, okay, cool, here we go. In the spring, we're launching this, we're going. And so we launched it and then everything shut down. And we're emailing everyone like, hey. And they're like, sorry, my department is gone now. And I'm like, okay, like, obviously, you know, I mean, I don't want to bully anyone anyway, but like, you really shouldn't be like, I just lost my job. Or like, I don't know what's going on in my career now, you know, or I'm sick with COVID, you know? And it's like, okay, so we're just putting the feelers out and asking and the, the one from each state thing. Cause then it was like, there were like six people, six different groups in Alabama who were like, hey. And I was like, oh, the Alabama thing's already gone. Sorry. And they're like, okay. You know, and then like and people from around the world who wanted to be in. So then it was like, okay, we're trying to include people, some of them who don't really want to be included. And we're excluding some people who want to be included. This isn't working. So we just were like, okay, whoever wants to do this, let's do it. And I gave away like 23 of my pieces as part of it. So like, you're gonna pay the consortium fee, you get all these pieces, and then you get, it turns out, a 60 minute, 10 movement piece called American Biomes. Um, I actually, we didn't make to the consortium number, and I'm comfortable saying that here because, you know, I had this piece in me, I had to write it. And 
the time that I started writing it, technically by the contract, I shouldn't have even started writing it because we hadn't reached a certain number that we had said. And it was a pretty high number, but like once this number is reached, the composer will start writing the piece. But last fall, OCU ended, we were completely done the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And then we started, I think the third week or fourth week of January. So I had, I had seven weeks straight off. And I was like, I'm never gonna have this much time again. I'm never gonna be able to dive in with pure focus on one project ever again, probably. So I, I have to write this piece now. So um, I had written the first movement, Tundra Struck, which is uh, a little, it's, it's obviously a play on like ACDC Thunderstruck, which is weird. I don't like ACDC at all, but I thought it was fun. Um, and it starts with two bass drum hits. So like, boom, boom. And so like, thunder. That's basically like a slowed down version of that. Um, so don't sue me, ACDC, uh, Tower Records or whoever, B BMI. Um, so I wrote that in May and then didn't do anything else in the piece until December and just went over to my office every day and wor worked six hours or so composing. And, and it was amazing because I had all these charts and all this stuff and I could just day to day build on it and, and create the piece. I got done with it, you know, and we had like a, a kickoff launch event with consortium members to like show, here's the piece, I'm gonna unveil it, we're gonna play, I'm gonna talk about it. And I was like, if I never write another piece of music again, that's okay. Uh, I really feel like I write a lot of different styles and I hope that when you hear a Jamie Whitmarsh piece, you're not like, oh, there's that again, you know, but that instead, at the end, you're like, oh, that was a Whitmarsh piece. Like, I haven't heard that before. Like, that's what I go for with every piece, which is very frustrating sometimes because it's hard to find those new areas maybe sometimes. But with this, this is the only piece that I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much everything I do is in this piece. Uh, everything I love about music is there. The um, Not that I think every piece needs to be like this, but the, like, what my soul expresses through music is, in, is that piece. Um, so... That's, that's where that came from. Um, Iowa played it, and it was, it was really ambitious. They played it, and they, I have an extended, it's quartet, but I have extended parts for the end. So if you mix and match studio members and you want to have a big finale with everyone, there's extra parts if you want to add in. And Milliken played a couple of, of movements, and that was really cool. And then uh, University of Arkansas Fort Smith gave the world premiere, the whole thing, all undergraduates. Check out that video. Um, and then it's, it's a piece I'm, I'm very proud of, and I hope people study in the future because I left a lot of little things in there. If you're looking to do your doctorate, uh, your dissertation on a piece, um, maybe pick a movement of this. I don't know. It's pretty ambitious. It's a lot of music. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. It's a lot of stuff. Well, Jamie, you told us how you got involved uh, writing for video game music. Can you tell us about uh, how you got involved playing in the OKC Phil? And was there any learning or unlearning uh, in playing in a new orchestra? Yeah, <laughs> um, so, you know, as you go, I, I obviously have a lot of interests and for better or worse, I'm generally pursuing them all at any given moment, like a crazy person. Um, and at a certain point, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna do that thing. That's, I'm, I'm never gonna be like, my goal is never to be like drum set solo guy. Like that's not my thing. Uh, that's not my thing. Not that that's not worthwhile, but like, I'm just like, okay, that's not gonna be a thing for me. Probably. I'll play drum set, but it's not going to be my main thing. Um, I, I liked doing percussion auditions. I, I really like the focus you get. You have this end date, because so many things in our field are kind of like, okay, there's going to be a performance, but like there's this sort of finality to it. Okay, and there's short chunks of music, and I get to play a lot of instruments. And so I, I have this focus. When I'm working towards an audition, I just love auditioning, basically. Um, but it was never my goal, like, I'm going to be an orchestral percussionist. And it certainly wasn't my goal. I'm going to be able to catch little timpanists. And I hope no one from the Philharmonic is watching this. I'm, I already have tenure, but still. Um, so I, just a quick story. I was doing my doctorate at OU. I was sitting in the GA office. And one of the master's students was like, hey, London Symphony Orchestra has a principal timpani audition open. And I said verbatim, I will never take a timpani audition. That ship has sailed. Because uh, I'd never taken one. I was like, I'm in my 30s. I'm doing percussion auditions. Like, I'm not gonna buy drums, lug them around the country and try to win a job. Like, that ship is healed. We went next door and Lance Drake, he said, I'm retiring from OU at the end of this year and retiring from the OKC Philharmonic. And I was like, I guess I gotta take a timpani audition now. Not to, not to win, just to do it. Like, okay, there's this audition, it's right here in the backyard. I, I gotta do it. 
Um, so yeah, I, I took the audition. I got a trial week, Beethoven five, uh, to give you an example of how not on my radar being an orchestral percussionist was when I was in my bachelor's, I won one of the placement auditions, Beethoven five for the orchestra was on the rep list. And I gave it to a grad student. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't want to do it. We did right of spring. And I was like, I don't want to, don't, don't put me on that right of spring. Yeah, I don't put me on that. I'm going to go compose. I'm going to go practice. You know, I'm going to work with my, I'm going to go play pieces by the other composers, you know, all that stuff. Like that's, that's, I was like, I like doing it, but it's not my main thing. So I took the audition, got a trial week, Beethoven five. And I was like, man, I really wish I'd already played this piece once because the, I'd show up my first rehearsal. Risers, center stage, 10 feet from the conductor. I almost had a panic attack. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what am I doing here? Um, but, you know, I mean, I studied a ton. Uh, and I will say that this, there's like, even playing in school ensembles, I mean, there's a big, there's just a big difference. And I played with orchestras before and a lot of, you know, pick up orchestras. Okay, I played with the Philharmonic before in the percussion section, but it's just different. The timpani, I, my personality, I know I talk a lot. I know I talk a lot, I'm sorry. And I know I'm loud and all this, but I really like to blend. That's my ideal role, a violist. I would love to be a violist. Hey, I'm here. That's all you can ask, you know, and I'm just gonna blend these notes in, you know, and when I need to pop out, I can't. Timpani is, I mean, there's blending, but like you're visible. You are there, you're on a freaking riser, you know, in front of half the group. It's like, I don't wanna be in the spotlight. So timpani is less my personality. Bye, Ksenia. Um, than, than anything else. So I had to learn to like not hold back my power or whatever you want to say, you know, like some self-help kind of terminology. I had to learn not to hold back and just to like, just to, okay, there's going to be a lot of times as a timpanist, I'm a leader from the back of the stage. So just embrace it and accept it. And that was for me, that was the turning point. And the learning point was you spend so much time accommodating others and, and especially chamber music, you know, really reading the room a little bit and with, with the orchestra as a timpanist with, with the style that we play in, you know, and, and the energy our, our conductor Alexander Micklethwaite has. So he's amazing. And he's just like, he's like, let's go. Like that's his like, yes, energy. Yes, let's go. And it's like, you got to serve it back. So I had to accept that. That was the biggest thing. Um, and then I had to always and still do remind myself, like, of course, pitch matters, but it's actually not, <laughs> I don't know. It's not the most important thing. And I'm sure someone's going to hate me for saying that, but uh, you can spend a long time fiddling. And, and while you've done that, maybe the group's pitch has shifted a little bit too. And now you're wrong. You know, you can, and you can miss entrances if you're really like, I got to get the pitch, but <clears throat> the spirit and the vitality and the, the driving force of it and, and the style and the character, that's the stuff. Of course the pitches need to be right but you don't know where someone's going to come in and they might be a little sharp, maybe a little flat, you know, there's always going to be a give and take with intonation. That's just live music. So not hyper fixating on that and working on pitch outside of the instrument more so than obsessing with it at the instrument was, was something I had to really get my process down for. Who is it that said, uh, it's not a sin to play out of tune, but it's a sin to stay out of tune. Chloe Dub. Yeah. Okay, there it is. <laughs> I like that one. For some of my timpani students, sometimes it's, well, we got a lot of sinners. Let's just say that. <laughs> You're going to leave that in? You're going to edit that out. <laughs> I'll leave that in. Uh, they're getting better. So Jamie, uh, just before we kind of head off to wrap, um, you have any upcoming projects or things on the horizon with, with any of the groups you're with? Yeah, you know, Oklahoma Modern Music Collective is we're really just kind of waiting on what the next step is with the pandemic, um, especially because it's largely volunteer. So, you know, the Composers Orchestra last year was the first year in a long time we hadn't performed and it's a bummer, but it's kind of necessary. Uh, video game stuff wise, I have scrap guilds and then I, I hope to also be writing for the next game for Attack Wagon, uh, Spell Cartel. And in the meantime, I'm just, you know, looking at more companies and more people to work with. If I can get to a point where I'm writing video game music most of my, most of my day, I think that would be great. Um, 
I just, I really, the time just melts away for me. Uh, Philharmonic, you know, we just postponed a lot of stuff and we should be back on stage at the end of February. So I'm enjoying the next six weeks of evenings, you know, because once that hits, it's like, I don't have a free evening until mid-June and that's okay. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I mean, American Biomes, I'm <clears throat> gonna submit to PASIC and uh, see if we can get the consortium members together to perform the piece at PASIC. And I hope to release uh, 10 videos leading up to it, one on each movement to kind of talk about here are the themes and here's how this, so that way, if people see that going into PASIC, then they're already familiar with the piece and they can really get more of it on a first listen because an hour of music is kind of kind of a lot. Um, Dewar Virginia recorded an album a couple years ago and I'm working on editing that. So at some point, the client profession duo with my wife, uh, that will be out at some point. Um, well, we had a little idea for a, I guess this will be the, the test preview um, for a little new segment of, got to figure out a name we'll figure out something sometime of of artistically engaging or informative or historically interesting things we've consumed in our capitalist society in the past week um so if, if anybody has anything or if jamie if you've been watching reading listening to anything feel free to share but i did see a film that is one of those films have y'all ever like seen a movie or read a book and you're the only one that's in your group that's done it. And then at the end, you're just like, I need to communicate this with someone. I, I can't keep this emotion uh, hidden in me. Caleb, we've all seen Don't Look Up. <laughs> <laughs> Even me. Oh, that was good. That was good wit. Um, so I watched, have y'all heard of this film La Casa Loba? Sorry, La Casa Lobo. The Wolf House. No. no. So it's a, it might be the most visually artistically engaging thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, so it's Spanish for The Wolf House. It's a Chilean stop motion animated surrealist horror film. Um, it was, it came out in 2018. It took them five years to film everything. Um, the general plot is it's about a girl named Maria, who's a young woman who finds refuge in a house in the south of Chile uh, after escaping from a sect of German religious fanatics. Uh, she's welcomed into the home by two pigs, the only inhabitants of the place. And like in a dream, the universe of the house reacts to Maria's feelings. The animals slowly transform into humans and the house becomes a nightmarish world. Um, it's really bizarre because it's actually inspired by a true story <laughs> of a a Nazi um, uh, cult in Spain, uh, or sorry, in Chile, um, that was in the 70s. They didn't get shut down till the 70s. Um, but it basically takes claymation, every form of drawing, charcoal paint, um, paper mache, 2D, 3D. They basically take every single visual tactile art and it blends it together and they, I think that's why, of course, it took so long to make, but things like claymation models that start to turn into felt dolls that go into the wall and become pastels that like, and just like a really cool surrealist horror film. Um, yeah, definitely. If you're listening, put the kids to bed before you watch this one. It is pretty disturbing. It's not scary or like anything. It's just visually uh, unsettling. And they go between shots of you know, the small claymation house and an actual house, but they blur it so seamlessly. Uh, the proportions just feel unsettling the whole time. But um, it's really cool. I would definitely give it a watch. It's free to watch online. It's about an hour long. Thanks, Caleb. I have one, one short little thing to add that I discovered um, this past week. Hopefully it'll still be up um, at the end of the month when this comes out. But those virtual sessions from PASIC that were supposed to be good through the end of December are still available through the app. And I think they were this year, just the virtual PASIC stuff was kind of overlooked because it's like, if you're at PASIC, you're not going to go sit in your hotel room and stream the sessions. So um, check, check it out, go re-download that app and you can still check out the virtual PASIC sessions. That's what I've been doing this week. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Any uh, any favorites that you've seen so far, Carly, or ones you recommend? Um, yeah, I gosh, I can't remember the name of the person. Somebody had one on um, Maraca playing, and Nick Toll has a really cool one on cymbal on playing. Those are the ones I've I've gone through so far. But there's there's a I don't know maybe like ten or fifteen. When everybody's done watching Book of Boba Fett, new episode, go off and <laughs> go off and check out your PAS stuff. Well, yeah, thanks everybody. Um, and we'll catch you next time on episode 315, I believe. Yeah, cool. See you then. Yeah. Thank you for having me.